Good morning, Four Oaks Church, Thursday, May 11th, back within the comfy, familiar confines of the home studio here at Four Oaks Community Church. Again, apologies for the technological snafu, our descent into cyber buffoonery uh, yesterday uh, with some technical difficulties, had to broadcast live from the back porch, but we're right here where we need to be. So thanks for joining us. We are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're right in the middle of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. So what we're doing, of course, as our regular pattern, is we work through the passage that we're going to be covering on that Sunday, and we are up to Matthew chapter 6. And one way to think about the flow, so, so remember, one of the things that we are wanting to do through these devotionals is not just dispense theological knowledge, but in, but, but in fact to give you tools to help equip you to study the Word of God for yourself. So it always helps to understand the context, the big picture of, of what's happening. And so we know that in the Gospel of Matthew, the theme is kingship, the kingship of Jesus. And as Jesus has come doing the works of the kingdom, healing people, casting out demons and such. He's now proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's gathering his people up to himself to teach them the way of life in the kingdom. And this begins, of course, with a vision, with, a, with an invitation to the life of blessedness, the life of, life of happiness, what we call the Beatitudes or the flourishings. And these are Jesus's invitation to align our lives with the priorities and values of the kingdom as God's citizens, with Jesus as our king. And as he's done that, he, he's told us that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not enter the kingdom. And by that, he doesn't mean that we are to be perfect. What Jesus is looking for is wholehearted followers who've had their lives and hearts transformed by the grace of God. And so once Jesus has set those markers up, he begins to teach through um, texts in the Old Testament that had been wrongly applied, wrongly interpreted by the Pharisees. And uh, we worked through a number of those texts uh, in the Ten Commandments, for example, and other parts of the Old Testament law where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said this, but I say this. And Jesus is not abrogating the law. He's not putting aside the Old Testament. He's giving its proper fulfillment, its deepest heartfelt meaning. That takes us through chapter 5. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus transitions um, to the practices of the kingdom. In other words, those things uh, in terms of the spiritual disciplines that are to be the markers of true righteousness, true spirituality for the citizens of Christ's kingdom. And these disciplines are to be both a marker by which we recognize the followers of Christ, and they are to be a means, a primary means, by which God shapes the heart of and transforms the hearts of his kingdom followers. So there are three disciplines um, that we have been looking at, the discipline of giving, um, the discipline of prayer, and then the discipline of fasting. And so we've talked about uh, prayer. We've talked about um, in brief. We'll obviously obviously come back to say more later. We've talked about prayer in brief. We've talked about um, um, giving in brief. And now today we want to talk about fasting 
in brief. And what, what, we're, what we're wanting to really understand is at the heart of Jesus's discourse and teaching on these things is that these things, well, in fact, before I say that, let me read the passage for today and, and try to pick up some of these pieces. All right, so we're down to, to Matthew 6, verse, verse 16. We're going to read 16, 17, and 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And those phrases, um, don't, you know, don't practice your righteousness before men, don't, don't pray or fast or give in order to be seen by men. What, what Jesus is saying here is not that these things are never done publicly, because there is obviously public praying in the Bible. There is public fasting in the Bible. There's public giving in the Bible. Rather, what Jesus is saying is don't do those things in order to be seen, affirmed, valued, praised by other men. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Rather, he says, store up these things and be content with the fact that even if no one sees you doing them, that Jesus sees you doing them. Your Father in heaven sees you doing them. He sees in secret. And it's these places in the secret place of the believer's heart and life that God forges kingdom character. That's a good term, kingdom character. Let's use this one. I, you're going to see that again on Sunday. So, so that's, that, that, that's the thrust of all these things. Now, when we talk about um, fasting, there's a couple things that should just immediately jump out to us, okay? It says, and when you fast. So this already should, will probably catch most of us short already, that there are certain spiritual disciplines like reading the word or praying or even giving or silence or meditation that, that, that we might practice more regularly that might be uh, a, a, a regular part of our spiritual discipline repertoire, but not so much with fasting, right? Um, fasting is probably a discipline, myself included, that, not, that most of us are not as familiar with, maybe even have entirely neglected in our spiritual life. There may be some of us who have never fasted, or maybe we fasted, but only very sporadically and intermittently. It's never been a part of our regular spiritual diet. And I just want to confess that that would be me. Okay. There are times I have fasted and set a time, set aside times to fast, but it is not anything like a regular discipline in my life. And so already this is speaking a point of conviction to us. So th th that's the first thing we want to say, all right, is there is an assumption that the believer is fasting. A, a, a second thing that we want to note here is that obviously fasting was a, a, a central part of Old Testament worship. So, so for example, if you want to flip in your Bibles back to Isaiah chapter 58, the context for Isaiah 58 um, is the people who were fasting, but fasting with a wrong heart for the wrong reasons. And Isaiah wants to, to criticize them for this. In a lot of ways, it's the same accusation. Jesus probably is drawing from Isaiah 58. Um, 
of, of what the Pharisees were doing. But by learning about the way God denounces their fasting gives us a sense of what true fasting really was. So look at Isaiah 58 too. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. Actually, you know, I want to start with verse one because there's a connection even further back to, to Matthew chapter six. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me delay daily. Oops, I lost my place. Let's go back there. Um, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of right, ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So, so basically what he's saying is God's not listening to your fasting because you have the wrong heart. Look at verse five. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his re head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So we already see by, by Isaiah highlighting what they were not doing, what a true fast should be. A fast is an opportunity for the people of God, either personally or publicly, we see examples of both in the Old Testament, to come before him to ask him for blessing, to ask him for mercy and grace, to confess their sins, to humble themselves, to implore of God. And this idea of, of, of stopping fasting, okay, or I'm saying, sorry, stopping eating for a period of time was to set Set, this aside, set that time aside that one would normally be doing the daily activities um, or taking those times three times a day to eat, but instead to use that time to pray, to use that time to seek God, to use that time to call out to God. And, and apparently this was to be a normal part of one's spiritual disciplines, even in the New Testament, okay? So, so here's a little exegetical lesson for you. If you want to know more about a specific topic or, or, or something that happens in a particular gospel or letter, one of the first places it helps to, to go to is that very same book. So in other words, is there another place in Matthew's gospel where he talks about fasting? And obviously, you know that there is. So if you flip over to Matthew chapter 9, and again, this is an example of Matthew um, recording something that Jesus has said and then following it up later with more exposition and explanation, okay? So look at Matthew 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? In other words, fasting was a given of the spiritual disciplines, just like prayer. But apparently they were fasting, disciples of John the Pharisees, but Jesus's disciples were not. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, what we learn from this 
is the heart of the Christian fast, okay? At the heart of the Christian fast is seeking the very presence of Jesus himself. So this whole old wineskins, new wineskins. In the Old Testament, people were fasting because they were asking for the very presence of God. They were asking for God to show up, to deliver, to forgive. And that's, of course, what the disciples of John and the Pharisees were doing when they were fasting. But Jesus says, now that I'm here, disciples, don't fast. Okay, no, no, why is Jesus saying that? Well, because Jesus is here. Jesus is with them. There's no need to uh, fast while Jesus is with them because the thing that they are hoping, praying, seeking for is already there. However, Jesus says, um, there is going to be a time that I depart from you, and when I'm gone, then you will begin fasting again. But it's, this will be a different kind of fast, okay, than the Old Testament fast. The, the Old Testament fast was seeking the presence of God. The New Testament fast is also seeking God, but it's seeking God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not only seeking him, but also resting in him, celebrating in him for the work that he has done in our lives. So, so their, their Old Testament fast was anticipatory, okay? The fast in the New Testament is seeking God. Is, is, I'm sorry, the fast in the New Testament is resting in the presence of God, uh, celebrating the presence of God that has already come and appeared through the person and work of Christ, but here, going back to Matthew 6, Jesus is assuming that we are going to fast as believers. And if you've never fasted or you are looking for some resources on fasting, the very best that I know is a book by John Piper called Hunger for God. And it's based upon a series of sermons he did many, couple, few decades ago on this issue of fasting. And those have been turned into a book. And it is an excellent, excellent resource. And even as I'm studying this passage, getting ready for the sermon, God is clearly convicting my heart. He's stirring up within me that I may be begin asking, why isn't fasting a regular part of your life, Paul? And I'm, me, me, Paul, not Apostle Paul. Why, why, why is fasting not a part of your life? Why have you neglected this? And hopefully all of us together this Sunday, um, we're going to get a, a, a clearer picture of how and why we do this. But ultimately, what has to be at the center, whether it's our praying or our giving or our fasting, is Jesus himself, that we are resting in who he is and what he's done for us, and we're seeking more of him in terms of his presence and communion. All right, so that's it for today. Tomorrow will be our last um, devotional of the week. And we're going to be talking about something I raised in an earlier devotional this week, this idea of reward. And what does Jesus mean by reward here? Your reward will be great or you will not be rewarded. We're going to come around to that um, tomorrow. Hope to see you there. Lord, we do want more of you. We want more of your power and your presence in our lives. And we ask that by your grace, you would give it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.